Okay, and we are recording. I'm here with uh, Father John Whiteford out of uh, Spring, Texas. How are you doing tonight, Father? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Doing okay. It was a, it was a long day at work, but we got through it, and you know, we're we're doing our thing now. Right. <laughs> so, um, for those most of the people in my audience aren't going to know who you are. Do you want to give a little of your background and and where you're where you're a priest at and all that good jazz? Well, I'm. Uh, I was raised Nazarene, which is a type of evangelical Protestant associated with Methodism historically, and um, became Orthodox in 1990 after reading the Fathers of the Church and discovering that I wasn't in the same church as they were. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> I've got a parish in Spring, Texas, St. Joan Orthodox Church, and I've been a priest since uh, 2001 and a, a clergyman since 1995. And um, I met I met Father Joseph a few weeks ago, Father Joseph Honeycutt a few weeks ago, and uh, I I attended uh, his Lent retreat that he had with where uh, Father Josiah spoke, and then um, I went back last Sunday, um, in it or not last Sunday, it was a Sunday before last, and and attended liturgy there, and uh, my parents live not that far from your parish. Um, and they actually joined me and attended their first liturgy at St. Joseph's. Um, so it's a, it's a cool. tight knit community. It's really cool. Like when you start diving in you realize who knows who and, and how close all these, these connections are. Yeah. Father Joseph has been a friend for a long time. His uh, son is my godson. So we've known each other a long time. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. So, um, well, the reason I asked you on is I wanted to talk um, about the uh, the monks in uh, at Lavra and the Kiev caves and uh, about what they're they're going through. I other than the update you put on there this morning, I haven't seen any other updates. Though I've been looking periodically throughout the day, trying to see if I I could figure out what's going on. I had talked to um, Jim Jotras uh, a few weeks ago, well, a couple of months ago. And we, we dug in a little bit into, um, how the CIA through, through their, uh, agent Jack Devine and then, um, had, had worked in Ukraine and how Patriarch Bartholomew had operated within Ukraine. So, um, I want to kind of touch on all of these things and kind of intermingle the entire conversation if we can. So, uh, yeah, just kind of give us an update or a background of what's going on in Kiev with the monks in Kiev and what the U.S. Ha- has to do with that at the at the moment. Well, to give some of the background, the Patriarch of Constantinople, who resides in what is now known as Istanbul, but historically it was Constantinople, has uh, been put into a bad situation by the fact that the Turks conquered the city of Constantinople in the 15th century. And um, the Orthodox population of uh, Asia Minor was mostly kicked out of the country after World War One. There was a <laughs> attempt by the Greeks to liberate the Greek population of Asia Minor because the Turks were on the losing side of uh, World War One, and the Greeks were with the Allies so they thought now was their chance, and they uh, started a war with uh, Turkey, but it didn't end well because the Ottoman Empire broke up, but Ataturk established the modern state of Turkey and was successful in defeating the Greeks. And not only did he defeat the Greeks, he didn't go back to what the status quo was prior to the war. He kicked almost all the Greeks out of Asia Minor, so... That's one of the reasons why you have so many Greeks scattered around the globe is you had all these Greeks that were living in Asia Minor, what is now Turkey, that had to find somewhere else to live because if they had stayed put, they'd have been killed and a lot of their relatives were killed. And um, so anyway, Constantinople, the patriarch, was in a weakened position. And so rather than uh, trusting in God or you know maybe just moving somewhere else, uh, like the Patriarch of Antioch did, he, um, you know, various patriarchs have looked towards foreign alliances as some means of preserving their position. 
And before World War II, they mainly were looking to the British. But after World War II, they started looking to the United States. And uh, so essentially, the Patriarch of Constantinople has been a vassal of the United States since the 1940s. And uh, if the U.S. State Department has an interest in some issue, they do what the U.S. State Department wants them to do. And uh, the what's gone on in Ukraine is Ukraine has been historically part of Russia. It's actually where Russia began. The, the, when you talk about the baptism of the Rus, which happened in 988, uh, that happened in Kiev. Uh, and uh, so the Russian people originated from this area. And... Uh, for historical reasons, the Mongols invaded, they destroyed most of what Kiev and Rus uh, had been, but you had Russians that went and settled into the forest of the north that were able to uh, fare better under the Mongol uh, period. And, uh, and then eventually you had Western powers that at, at various times occupied or controlled uh, Ukraine story, but uh, Ukraine, <coughs> the current state of Ukraine is composed of mostly areas that historically were part of Russia, but also some areas <laughs> that were mostly connected to Poland or hung Hungary, and um, which at the end of World War II wound up being cobbled together into the Ukraine, uh, the SSR or the Soviet Socialist Republic, but then when the Soviet Socialist Republics broke up, it became an independent country. And so the West has been trying to carve off Ukraine and <laughs> set it at odds with Russia ever since because they see that as a way of neutering Russia. And uh, <laughs> so there are theological and ecclesiological issues that the Orthodox people care about, but the United States government doesn't care about any of those things. They just want to hurt Russia, and it doesn't matter how they do it. And so causing a schism in the Orthodox Church is small potatoes to them. They don't care. So they put the Patriarch of Constantinople up to the job of recognizing schismatics in Ukraine as being the legitimate church and essentially establishing an alternative church to the historic church in Ukraine. And uh, once the war heated up in uh, 2022, the Ukrainian government has, has really put the screws on the legitimate church, although they were already persecuting the legitimate church prior to that. The United States government backed a coup in uh, 2014 that overthrew the lawfully elected government, which was you know, not totally pro-Russian, but certainly was sympathetic with Russia. And uh, most of the people that voted for that government tended to identify as Russians and wanted to have good relations with Russia, but they also wanted to have a good economy. They would have liked to have had a good trade agreement with the West, but the West manipulated the situation. And then we used uh, color revolution tactics to launch essentially the second color revolution in Ukraine, because there had been a previous attempt for us to overthrow Ukraine and get them to turn to the, to the United States. Uh, but this, at this time they, they actually had a coup proper, ran the uh, legitimate president out of the country, and uh, Victoria Newland and the State Department picked the people who would take his place. And uh, in, as a result of that, parts of Ukraine said, hey, we ain't going along with this, and they revolted. So you had Crimea that broke off, and also the Donbass and the Lugansk uh, uh, regions that broke away from Ukraine, and there's been a civil war ever since. Mm. But it heated up in 2022 because Russia basically saw that the United States and Ukraine were not going to resolve the situation peacefully. They've been shelling the people in eastern Ukraine uh, for eight years. And uh, Zelensky was talking about acquiring nuclear weapons and joining NATO. So Russia gave an, basically a list of demands to the to the West and said, look, we don't want a war, but Ukraine can't be part of NATO. It can't have nuclear weapons, and it needs to stop killing people in eastern Ukraine. Uh, basically, what uh, the West told 
Russia was, you'll get nothing and you'll like it. And Russia decided that they didn't like it. And they went ahead and they intervened militarily, which the United States wouldn't have waited eight years to have done in the first place. Right. And, and so there's, there's been a war going on that's, that's at a different level now. And uh, contrary to what the Western media is reporting is Ukraine is unfortunately their, their troops are being slaughtered every day. And um, there are hundreds of thousands of people who are dead right now that would not be if the United States had not tried to do all this stuff. Um, so that's related to what's going on. But the church situation is a little bit different because the Ukraine, the church in Ukraine actually condemned the invasion Metropolitan Newfrey was calling for peace and uh, and they they've supported uh, the Ukraine in terms of defending the, the, the country. Their laity are are, are comp- comprising a large portion of the troops that are fighting for Ukraine. And yet they're being treated as if they're traitors and uh, and enemies. And uh, from a military perspective, it doesn't make much sense that Zelensky would want to alienate a large portion of his own population when he's in, some, in the midst of a military struggle that could result in him being hung from the highest tree. But the United States government is really calling the shots, and I think they're the ones that are pushing this. So, so they are pushing for a schism. Uh, in earlier, earlier in the month of March, the Ukrainian government announced that it was terminating the lease <coughs> that the that a legitimate church had on the Kiev Caves Lava, which is the most important monastery. And it's a huge complex, which also includes a seminary and a theological academy. Also, they're publishing all kinds of stuff is housed on this land. They told him, you've got till March the 29th to get out. And um, that was yesterday. So we've already had a day pass and, uh, there's a bit of a standoff because thousands of people have gone to the monastery to defend it. And the Ukrainian government is apparently not yet ready to send the troops in and start beating people with clubs and, and uh, forcing them out. So we, we don't know what's going to happen, but the Kiev caves lava is almost a thousand years old. And uh, it's the most important monastery in Ukraine. And one could argue that it's the most important part monastery in uh, the entire wider Russian church. And um, so it's a, it's a big deal uh, to, to those of us who are Orthodox. And, uh, you know, we, we're trying to encourage people in the West to contact their representatives to put pressure on the Ukrainian government not to go forward with this. Even the Pope has spoken out against this. Patriarch Bartholomew of Constantinople has not uttered a peep, to my knowledge, about this. He's not said anything about kicking all these monks out. And um, mind you, in December, the, the Ukrainian government already had told the, the, the legitimate monks of the Kev Caves that they could no longer use the largest church in the, in the monastery. And... Um, the, the head of the fake church, Epiphany, as I like to call him, Epiphany, if you want to call him by his proper name, uh, served there. He served there three times since December, and they had to bus people from out of Kiev so that they would not be embarrassed by how many people showed up for this. And if anyone, if you know anything about Orthodox monasteries, they do daily services. So to only have done three services since December, uh, shows that there's no monastery that's waiting to take over uh, for when, when they kick all these monks out. The fake church doesn't even have, if they took all the monks from everywhere else in Ukraine and put them in Kiev, they would still not have enough monks to replace the monks that they're kicking out. So they don't have the monks, they don't have the people, they just have the U.S. State Department and uh, and other Western powers backing them up. But they're a total... total phony baloney plastic banana fake church and if you're wondering why there's a lease on the kev caves this goes back to the soviets because this was church property before the bolshevik revolution when the communists took over they made it state property they kicked all the monks out the monks were allowed to return but it was still treated as state property but they were given a lease by the government in ukraine 
and uh, had the current had the government that was overthrown in the coup that we launched been in power long enough they were talking about just giving the property to the church because they were really the rightful owners of that land in the first place uh but since that didn't happen <laughs> that's why we're in the situation there was um in the in that thread that you had shared this morning um there there was mention of i want to say his name was uh omri father omri who was a monk and he he joined the schismatics and was uh given the title of abbot over the schismatic monks um what so from what i understand what they did is they set up a parallel monastery across the street which has no monks yeah it has one it has one monk (laughs) this judas that 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 left his lawful bishop right yeah And, and so they're are they trying are they trying to get the monks to join the new monastery or are they trying to run the monks out and take over the old monastery i, I was a little I, confused I think that, that their their wish would be that they would have a, a sizable portion of the monks who would go over to the schismatics as a matter of fact there's good reason to think that patriarch bartholomew was lied into believing that when he established the fake church that a large portion of the legitimate church was just chomping at the bit to join this fake church because they wanted to be independent of the Russian church and it didn't happen. Uh, so I, I think he was probably bamboozled, although I don't know if he had done anything differently because he basically has to do what the United States state department tells him to do anyway, uh, because they, they fund him and provide him uh, some political cover. Uh, and, you know, kids, you know, Constantinople is living under the Turkish government, which is very anti-Christian. It is a difficult situation to be in. However, the Christian way to handle that kind of a situation is not to persecute fellow Christians so that you can right. preserve yourself. Right. Yeah. It, it. Well, and I saw after after his his deal in Ukraine, he's now he's gone to was it? Lithuania. I saw that he was setting up a parallel system. He set up a parallel church in Lithuania. He's already done it in Latvia. Mm. And he did it in Estonia back in the 1990s. So he's, he's had a bad habit of doing this kind of stuff and he's been causing division uh, ever since he was made patriarch and his predecessors were causes causers of division. Back in the 1920s, the Soviets set up an alternative church to the legitimate church in Russia that was known as the Living Church. Mm. And uh, these, you know, they they didn't create this church out of thin air. There were modernists in the Russian church that wanted uh, to do modernist kind of stuff, and they saw this as an opportunity. They wanted to allow bishops to be married. They wanted to allow priests who were widowers to be remarried. And back in the days when you had uh, less, you know, a lower quality of medical care for women who were giving birth, it was a lot more common for a priest who was married to be a widower. But the Orthodox tradition is that when St. Paul says that a priest is to be the husband of one wife, that doesn't just mean one wife at a time. That means that a priest is only to be married once. Mm. And so according to the scriptures and the canons of the church, a priest can't get married a second time, but they wanted to allow that. And uh, they also want to do a lot of other things like shorten the services, get rid of the fast. Um, So they were liberals and uh, they established this fake church and the, the patriarch of Constantinople entered into communion with this fake church and uh, recognized them up until the day that they ceased to exist because their last bishop died off because the people in Russia did not recognize them. They, they, they would refuse to go to their churches. They refused to support their priests. And eventually they dwindled until the very last bishop died. And, and he... The uh, most of the priests actually went back to the legitimate church, and they were required to uh, 
do public repentance from the ambon of their church and and to <laughs> apologize to their people for having gone into schism. But uh, but some of the leaders of the living church were told that you will never be accepted back as anything but a layman because you so betrayed the church, you participated in throwing priests and bishops into prison and having them executed. You cannot serve as a clergyman if you come back. And the last bishop was one of these people. <laughs> and uh, so uh, he, 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 he lived under the delusion that he was the Metropolitan of Moscow until the day he died, but there were no more people left. And, uh, and then Constantinople kind of tried to forget that they had ever gone into communion with that group and then was acting like they were still in communion with the Russian church. And the Russian church was under such difficult circumstances under the Soviets that they best basically let it go, assuming that this would never be an issue again. But we're essentially seeing a replay of, of what happened in the 1920s right now, where they're recognizing <clears throat> renovationist and modernist and renovationists and modernists that would make the living church look conservative by comparison because Epiphony is okay with, uh, you know, playing footsies with the, with the LGBTQP people, uh, because that's what it requires to get the support of the United States. Um, so, to, and, and basically they're concelebrating with the union so that they, they're, they're way down the road towards the church of the antichrist. They're not anything like Orthodox. And that's what the Patriarch Constantinople is supporting. Yeah. I think we're with, with the, the culture of the West here in America, one of the things that people are going to have an issue with and understanding is the role of the church in the culture in Eastern Europe. Do you mind? I know you've been to Moldova and, and into the, the region. Would you mind talking about that a little bit and how the church affects the culture and, and what that actually means to the people of that region? Well, when you're talking about c countries where the people have been Orthodox for a thousand years or more, the Orthodox faith is very deeply rooted and people's lives revolve around the church. And um, so this is a big deal in Ukraine. And Ukraine is an extremely pious country. Uh, Russia itself was subjected to um, devastating persecution by the communists, and they destroyed so many churches that the life of the church in a lot of areas in Russia was almost wiped out and so there's still areas that don't have regular churches uh, although they've been building you know thousands of churches every year since mm -hmm. then and the church has been growing but ukraine was spared some of that it wasn't persecuted on the same way um, at least not in the sense of churches being destroyed and moldova for some reason, I don't know quite why, but they kind of ignored Moldova to a large extent. And so their church life was able to continue on at a, at a different level than most of the rest of the Soviet Union. Um, so the so the faith is stronger there, but it's strong everywhere because even in the areas where it was extinguished, people still had this memory. And maybe their grandmother passed the faith on to them at least in some basic level so they knew some things about the faith and so when the churches started to reopen <laughs> you had people who started going back and uh so so this is a big deal and and to go cause a schism in a country like ukraine it's uh it's dividing the, the you know the country down the middle in many ways, and, and, and particularly, you know, if you think Ukraine is a persecuted country that's being picked on by the big Russians and you want them to win, you ought to not be happy that the United States is forcing a schism down their throat that is weakening them at a time when they need to be united if they're going to have any chance of uh, coming out of this in any kind of a, a positive way where they actually still are a country. <clears throat> I think there are a lot of Ukrainians that are part of the legitimate church that are probably questioning why they should continue to support this government right now. 
Yeah, I, w- I would imagine as much. Uh, it's it, one of the things I talked to with uh, with Mister Jotras was the um, the the necessity of of pushing Western culture down the the throats of these people in the East and and what that meant and how it would distract like the the culture in itself is intended to distract them from the piety that they were taught r- growing up um they, they and, 100% they're trying to push the gay agenda in Ukraine and Moldova and other countries that their leadership is trying to become part of the west the price of admission today to the club of the West is to bow the knee to the rainbow flag and the transgendered, you know, 1001 uh, gender uh, ideology of the West. And most of the people in Ukraine are not on board with that. Most people in Moldova are not on board with that. Uh, Yeah. It's uh, I think, I think where people like, here in the West kind of get confused those because they think of church, they think of like Protestantism, you know, or, or the, or the Catholic church. And in the East there, when you, when you start engaging with orthodoxy, which I was just chrismated in December. So when you start engaging with it, like the first thing you realize is like, Oh, this is a lifestyle. There's, there's, it's a completely different way of engaging with the world than than what you're used to and there's a lot of adjustments you you begin to make in your life and you start to in in order to really understand what it is that you're engaging in in the west we don't understand that because everything is so separated and a lot of the reasons a lot of the i wouldn't say reasons a lot of the circumstances we see occurring in the western churches are due to that segmentation and that separation. Whereas in the East, they wouldn't have that separation. So it's almost like the government checks with the church to make sure they're in line with the church. And it, but, but the church isn't necessarily ruling the government. Yeah. In the, in the Orthodox world, the church has never been in a position to tell the government what to do about anything that had to do with anything other than the faith. But it's been a strong uh, player in 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 the life of the society. Uh, that's in contrast to the West, where during the medieval period, especially, the Pope really could tell a country what to do. And if the Pope was unhappy with the king, he could uh, essentially, you know, use his power to overthrow. Uh, that's not the way the Orthodox East has worked. But the church was certainly a, a significant force, and um, people took it seriously, and the rulers took it seriously. Right. So there, there was this idea of what's known as symphonia, where the the king had a god given responsibility to rule his kingdom, and he was anointed by the church. So he had a role, and it was a it was a role that was connected to the Orthodox faith. But his role was viewed as being separate, but not, you know, distinct, I should say, but not totally separate from the church. And the church had a a role that was distinct, but not totally separated from the government. And so the church job was to inform the king or the czar or the emperor as to what they should be doing in terms of religious matters. But the emperor or king or, or whatever had their job of, living you know make establishing a kingdom where the people were trying to live a christian life now not all of these rulers did this very well but some of them did and that's the ideal that the church has always tried to encourage is a pious king who ruled his country well and promoted piety that 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 was the ideal government right yeah and well and that's why this is with the kiev caves it's such a big deal and, and that's what I kind of want to drive home to people that this is a big deal because it matters in the, in the scope of things and the way that politics operates in Ukraine and, and, and Russia, the, 
the role of the church matters. And so if they're ushering in a more modern liberal ideology and theology through the new church, then and, and pushing out the kind of the traditional church that's been there for a thousand years, ultimately what they are doing is they are creating um, not only divisions within society, but they are pushing degeneracy within society. And they're looking to break down that society to be submissive to the United States. Right. Yeah, the United States, they they really don't care anything about orthodox theology. They just want to have people who are compliant to what we want them to do. And uh, so if, if they have to cause a schism in orthodoxy on a scale that hasn't been seen for, you know, almost a thousand years, that doesn't bother them because mm. uh, they don't care. But we do. Uh, the Orthodox Church is decentralized, but it's been united. And uh, it, it, it's, it matters to the whole Orthodox world. And you've had Orthodox local churches all over the globe speaking out against what's going on. But uh, so far, the Ukrainian government, I'm, I can't say that they're not listening, because if they were totally ignoring world opinion, I think they would have already sent the police in with their clubs and they would have taken the monastery over. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, there's at least some hope that maybe they're going to be shamed into backing off. But I would encourage everybody who listens to this video to contact your elected representatives. You've got a congressman, you've got two senators, and don't accept from from when you talk to their representatives in their offices, don't accept this. Well, he's not on the right committee, or he can't do anything. If my congressman is Dan Crenshaw. And his aides told me these very things. He's not on the right committees uh, to do anything about this. And I told him, well, he's a congressman of the United States and a a somewhat prominent congressman. And if he called up the ambassador from Ukraine to the United States and he said, I'm not going to continue to support funding your war effort or your government if you continue to do these uh, anti-religious acts in Ukraine, I guarantee you that Ukraine would pay attention because they're totally dependent on the United States right now. Yeah. So, so if anybody tells you they can't do anything and they're a congressman or they're a senator, they're full of crap. They're lying to you. They can do it. And it wouldn't take probably very many senators or congressmen to call up the ambassador from Ukraine to the United States and tell them those things before Ukraine would start getting worried because they already know that their vote margins to get more funding are narrowing. So they can't afford to lose very many votes. But unfortunately, unfortunately, I patch McCain, Dan Crenshaw, I think is, is just a warmonger neocon and he's going to continue to support Ukraine no matter what. I'm going to continue to call his office anyway, because he's my Congressman, unfortunately. Um, but uh, I'm also going to con- contact Ted Cruz and I'm going to contact uh, John Cornyn because they all have influence. Yeah. And you said the senators have more influence because there's a lot fewer of them than there are of the representatives. If they called the, the, the Ukrainian ambassador and told them that they will not support more funding, if they go down this road, it would stop in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what do you, how do you see this going? Cause I know that the, um, the monks, um, received permission to, to be martyred and, uh, and, and to stand their ground. And, you know, this is, this is something that I, I find very intriguing about the Orthodox faith and, and really kind of drew me in my buddy, um, Matt Erickson, who, who does, uh, the King Pilled podcast. He, he, his first church was, uh, father Josiah's church there in California. Yeah. And when he was looking at moving to San Antonio, he went to father Josiah for, um, to, to talk about that and to get some wisdom and, and counsel on what he should do. And, um, father Josiah said, Orthodox don't run. We, we stand our ground 
and we we stay with our communities and and that's that's where martyrs come from right and and i see the monks in in the in kiev and and the and the congregants doing that they're they're standing their ground they're not willing to leave they're not willing to give up to the government you have thousands of people standing out in front of the church to stop the government from in, invading the church i know there was some a couple of days ago it, 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 i saw some video of some tear gas being thrown into churches and people being pushed out of churches and stuff like that so where do do, do you think this will escalate well, if, if there's not enough of an outcry from the West, it certainly will. And if they go in there with um, <clears throat> with clubs, there will be monks that will be killed. There will be old ladies that will be killed. Um, you know, during the Soviet period, the old ladies were the bravest people that supported the church. And when when people would be afraid to go into the church, other than maybe to quickly light a candle and then to run out so they wouldn't be identified by the KGB, it was the old ladies that kept the churches going. Yeah. And those old ladies are not going to go quietly. Uh, so yeah, you're gonna have you're gonna have martyrs if this goes down that road. The thing is, <clears throat> being a martyr is a glorious thing to be embraced the church teaches us that we're not supposed to seek martyrdom. So it'd be wrong to try to become a martyr for no good reason when you could avoid it. Mm. But in a situation like this, that's why the monks got a blessing. They got a blessing and they were told, look, if you don't want to leave, you're, you have my blessing to stay until you're, you're killed. Yeah. Well, that's what likely happen. And uh, and if they if that happens, they'll be saints and glorified and uh, spend eternity with God in, in in heaven. So it'll be great for them. But on the other hand, you know, we as bystanders have an obligation as Christians to defend those that are being persecuted by evil people. Right. And uh, so we have to speak out so that we're not complicit in in their martyrdom. And. Uh, and our 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 elected representatives need to know that this matters to us and that they're complicit in the martyrdom of these monks and old ladies that's getting ready to happen if they don't do anything and that we're going to hold them accountable. I will not vote for I Patch McCain if he doesn't say something about this. I, I will I will leave that box unchecked going forward and and let a Democrat get elected if that's what it takes to teach him a lesson. Uh, if he's not going to stand up for my church and for old ladies and old monks that we just want to worship God and be left alone. Mm. And, uh, and the same thing goes for John Cornyn and Ted Cruz. And unless they know that uh, they're going to figure out, oh, well, they'll forget that you, but by election time, these right. people don't have any choice, but to vote for me. Well, you know, we do have a choice and we may not want to vote for the, for the pro abort pro sodomy Democrat, but maybe we just won't vote for you. Uh, and maybe you'll lose because we won't vote for you. So, so put that in your pipe and smoke it. I pass right. McCain. Yeah, it it's in a lot of a lot of people are going to be wondering, like, because um, part of the part of the narrative that we hear coming out are are that these monks side with Russia or they're on Russia's side. What what, you, what people don't realize is many of these guys these monks that are they're in the monastery they're not political at all they they don't know what's going on some of these people are hermits that have been living on their own in a cave for years that have no idea what the geopolitics and the ramifications of of the political movements are and and they 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 could care less they're interested only in furthering their relationship with God, they are not interested in getting involved in the geopolitics of the day. Yeah. The monks are not watching the news and they're not checking their iPhones to see what's going on. They're just there to pray. And uh, I'm sure that among the monks, there might be some that have sympathies with Russia uh, versus, you know, in this war, but there are a lot of the monks and a lot of the bishops that think that Russia shouldn't be involved in it. 
the thing is, those are that's those are entirely different questions. And if it was if Ukraine was a free democratic country, people would be entitled to have their own opinions. Uh, but yeah, because that's what we're told is that this is, you know, a fight for democracy and freedom. But uh, Zelensky banned all the opposition parties except for the neo-Nazi ones. Uh, and, and that's a fact, and you can check it out. And people will say, well, Zelensky is a Jew, so what, what, how can you say that the Ukrainian government is pro-Nazi? Well, you know, there were, there were Jews that uh, worked with the Nazis to put Jews into concentration camps. You know, uh, I think Zelensky probably was sincere when he got elected. He said he was going to try to end the war in eastern Ukraine. And had he done that, we wouldn't be here. But I think once he got into the to his office, that he was probably told that, hey, if you don't want a bullet in the back of your head, you better do what we tell you to do. Yeah. And uh, and uh, you know, alternative A is is you if things go badly in Ukraine, you can retire to Florida in a multi million dollar mansion, and you'll be taken care of for the rest of your life. And if things uh, if you don't do what we tell you to do, you're just going to be shot in the back of the head. Well, apparently he's taken option A. Uh, out of those options. But what he promised before all this happened was that he was going to end the war in eastern Ukraine. Well, he went to eastern Ukraine. There's video of this. And he was telling these uh, neo-Nazi uh, militias, hey, I'm, the pre- I'm your president. I'm telling you to stop firing on the people of uh, eastern Ukraine. And they basically told him, screw you. We're going to do what we want to do. And he didn't have the power to do anything about it. Because Ukraine was installed by neo-Nazi thugs. You can say that, you know, those parties that are connected with the neo-Nazis don't get a lot of votes come election time. But when it comes to who's actually the the military muscle behind the Ukrainian government that we have right now, the Nazis have a big role in it. And it's just a fact. And you can deny it all you want, but it's a reality. And there's there are two good documentaries by Oliver Stone that you can watch on Rumble. I think they're still on YouTube, too. But the first one is Ukraine on Fire. And uh, oh, I can't remember the name of the second one, but if you look for Oliver Stone, you'll find it. It's something like Ukraine, you know, revisited or something like that. Uh, But I have a blog post on the subject of this war where I point to those those, uh, documentaries. But the second documentary talks about what happened after the coup and what role the Nazis have been playing in Ukrainian politics since then. And uh, it's very illuminating. And uh, they have a holiday for a, a Nazi, uh, Stefan Bandera, and, uh, and they, they teach children in school to recite poetry to Stefan Bandera. Stefan Bandera is my father and Ukraine is my mother. Well, Bandera was a Nazi. Mm. So if you want to say Ukraine is not run by Nazis, explain why we have a national holiday in Ukraine for the, for a Nazi and explain why children are taught to recite poetry praising a Nazi. Yeah. Those are facts. You can deny them all you want. They're facts and facts are stubborn things. <clears throat> where it, where it really gets to me and, uh, at the at the moment, I'm reading um, my elder Joseph the Hesychast about Saint Joseph the Hesychast. Yeah, um, and and I I keep as I'm reading this book and I'm I'm seeing what's happening. I'm like this these guys they they have no business in in this. There they there's nothing. You're I, all you're doing is you're leveraging innocent people to to move politics and and it's heartbreaking to to see that and 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 how that operates and i remember um i think it was your interview with um on church of the eternal logos with david patrick harry that you just did where you were talking about how the west used to follow this this christian code of war prior to the civil war and, and how that changed. But I was, when you, when you brought that up, one of the things I was thinking of was, uh, 
was when Rome sent soldiers into the East during the Crusades and how the, the Catholics, the Roman Catholic soldiers reacted to, um, to the Orthodox and, and treated the Orthodox and how that's kind of carried over into Western civilization. Yeah, well, when the Crusaders sacked Jerusalem, they killed the Orthodox along with the Muslims. Right. Um, you know, the, the Crusades were encouraged to some extent by the Byzantine Empire because the Byzantine Empire wanted some help fighting off the Muslims that were trying to take over them. But uh, they had a different mentality. But through the Middle Ages, there was a code of conduct during war that basically said that when you're fighting another Christian country, there are certain things that you just don't do. And you don't attack innocent people. You don't destroy their food supply. You fight the army. Now, if, if, if you had a pagan invader that wasn't abiding by those rules, then you wouldn't be bound by those rules fighting them back. Mm-hmm. But, but Christians sort of had this agreement, and there was this concept of chivalry, that you, an honorable warrior would abide by a code, and, and to not abide by that code would be dishonorable. And unfortunately, in the American Civil War, that's when the West started to throw that code out the window. And World War I uh, probably would not have happened if the Civil War had not happened first. Mm. And uh, we had not had the example of how effective it was to uh, bombard innocent civilians and starve them to death uh, to conquer your enemies. Now, that, w- that was basically not allowable prior to that. And when you look at the conduct of the British when they were fighting against the Americans during the American Revolution, they were far they treated Americans far better than the Union Army treated Southerners after during and after the Civil War. Uh, so these are shameful things and and if you think dropping atomic bombs on cities is a bad thing, that would not have happened if this code had not been uh, thrown out the window because there was a time when that was considered to be a shameful thing but once you go down the road of figuring that civilians are, are uh, legitimate targets then you can talk yourselves into bombing uh, cities with atomic weapons the um, do, do you think that the monks are are completely like and i know there's a segment of them that have stepped out and made comments and and but do you think that the entire monastery knows exactly what's going on and 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 the threat that is is being leveled at them i think that they all have to have some awareness of what's going on because that they know that their life is in jeopardy and uh last night the the laity that came to protect the monastery spent the night in the monastery because they, they wanted to make sure that the police wouldn't come after they left and uh, kick the monks out. So, so all the monks have to be aware that this is not, that night was not like other nights uh, to paraphrase a scriptural uh, line there. That, that, that was a different kind of a night. Yeah. Now I, I just, I, I saw a story earlier whenever I was, I was I was doing a Google search and um, it, it was talking about one of the monks of the caves who's been a hermit. And this story was released probably seven years ago. And he had been a hermit in that cave for like 19 years or something like that. And I'm just thinking about guys like that. And I'm just like, like, really? It, like it. I mean, it's as bad as as going after women and children, really, in my opinion. These are completely peaceful people that have. They, they, most of these guys don't even step out of their cell unless it's to grab a piece of bread or to, you know, engage with liturgy. They, they, these, these monks pose no threat to the Ukrainian government. And uh, if they just left them alone, uh, they not only would pose no threat, but the Ukrainian church has actually been raising money to provide assistance to Ukrainian troops. And, you know, they're not 
army in them, but the, but you know these troops are their parishioners, mm. so they're they're trying to provide them with things like food and uh, you know things to make their life bearable while they're fighting this horrible war, and uh, so not only are they not hurting the Ukrainian government, they're positively doing good things that they should be praised for, but they're losing this war. They're lying in the media is lying to everybody about how the war is going, but they're losing this war. And when you're losing the war and you can't really kill your enemy, killing people that you can kill starts to feel pretty good. If you're, uh, you know, an evil soulless person. And, uh, you know, th- this war is so horrible you know, I you mentioned that I went to Moldova last year. When I was in Moldova, I, I got to see village life in Moldova. Moldova's right across the border from Ukraine. It was a former Soviet republic. I've never been to Ukraine, but I'm quite positive that the villages in Ukraine were not significantly different than the villages in Moldova. Right. And to imagine these innocent farmers that are trying to live a peaceful life most of them don't own cars they're just growing crops trying to make a living put food on the table for their families go to church and to have their village be destroyed their whole lives destroyed um you you have to be an evil person to do things that would make that to happen and that's what the people in our government have done we've got a bunch of pencil neck geeks that don't know anything about the situation, but they think they're moving pieces on a chessboard and uh, they're hoping to somehow hurt Putin. When in reality, they're just getting a bunch of people killed to the tune of a hundred, you know, a couple hundred thousand already on the Ukraine side. Uh, not to mention the, the millions of people who've been displaced and their lives totally uprooted. And many of these villages will never be the same. Uh, you know, if this war ended tomorrow, these villages will never be the same. And uh, to want to see that happen, you've got to be a soulless, evil person. And I just hope that these people wake up, that they're brought to repentance, and that they start changing their course. Because, uh, you know, the wrath of God is going to be on those responsible for this. But what I would say is, God's judgment is now going to be on Zelensky for allowing these things to happen. He's going to, it's going to be on the United States probably more so because I don't think Zelensky really wanted all this stuff to happen, but the United States government did. And we tolerate this government doing these things. Uh, it's it's and, almost and, like, um, I'm, I'm sorry, father. I was just going to say, it's almost like Zelensky has taken the role of Pontius Pilate. Yep. Yeah. Probably he would like to wash his hands about now. Because uh, I don't think that he really wants to do these things. He actually, from all accounts, got along well with Metropolitan Newfrey every time he's met him. Mm. Uh, he's a native Russian speaker who doesn't speak Ukrainian all that well, but tries to pretend now that he doesn't understand Russian and needs a a, a, a interpreter when someone's speaking Russian to him. You know, the, these people are, you know, such phonies. They're they're such larpers. Uh, but, uh, you know, the devil loves is the father of lies and, and they hate the truth. And uh, it, it, so he, he is unfortunately gone down that road. I just hope that things I hope that he's shamed at least into doing the right thing before it's too late. They, uh, I, I just keep coming back to the whole culture thing. And I, I look at um, I, I was I was thinking about um, oh, I can't think of her name the lady who was interviewed about the 500,000 children in Iraq that died uh, that that worked for the Clinton administration. And she's like, yeah, we think the price was worth it. And, and I think that was Madeline Albright that said that. Yes, it was. She was, she was a, she was a, 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 a Jewish woman who the Serbs actually protected and kept her from being killed by the Nazis. And she oversaw our war against the Serbs. And uh, so killing 500,000 Iraqis is probably, you know, just another day for her. (laughs) But Um, my mind, I I kept wanting to call her Catherine and I knew that wasn't right. So I didn't want to like, 
<laughs> I didn't want to lay that at the foot of a Catherine. Um, yes, it was Madeline Albright that said that. And right. I, when I, whenever I look at the U.S. foreign policy, uh, one of my good friends is Scott Horton. And so I get plenty of earfuls about U.S. foreign policy and exactly what's going on overseas uh, from Scott. And uh, it's 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 um, they have that that idea that the ends justifies the means if it if it furthers what what is colloquially colloquially called the new world order, uh, which we've heard called any number of things, whether it's uh, the the new world liberal order, um, the new world economic order, however you want to like paint that picture right. and and get dive into that subject. That's that's fine, but they the ultimately they believe in in this one world governance situation, and they are willing to spill as much blood, destroy as many lives in as many cultures as as humanly possible to spread the Western culture across all Eastern countries in order to draw these countries in and to weaken their enemies. And it doesn't matter how many people get hurt in the process. It doesn't, it doesn't even matter how many of their own citizens get hurt in the process. And it's very sad to watch. That's right, because they're evil people who don't care about the value of human life. Uh, there, you know, you, you're, I'm sure, familiar with the movie Full Metal Jacket, and uh, not not a very clean movie, right. but uh, but there was a line in that movie where an officer said about the Vietnamese people, and he used a derogatory term that I won't repeat. But he said, inside of every derogatory term for a Vietnamese person, there's there's an American dying to get out. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's that's unfortunately the American post Civil War Yankee, uh, to 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 be more precise, attitude about everybody else in the world is that everybody else is just really wanting to be like us. There's no there's really no need for there to be any deep differences in cultures. Because everybody wants to be exactly like us, and anybody who doesn't want to be like us really isn't fit to live and needs to be killed. <coughs> and uh, that's morphed into this <coughs> globalist agenda that has totally forgotten God. Which that's actually kind of funny that you bring up the Vietnamese as a uh, an example, because it it, it actually. <laughs> Ho Chi Minh actually spent much of his time quoting Thomas Jefferson. Yep. And so, so what a lot of what, what you saw there in the dialogue between the Vietnamese and uh, the U.S. and their arguments was the progressive era versus the revolutionary era. And because America wouldn't, wouldn't, give the Vietnamese the kind of the revolutionary support they turned to communism. Yeah. And so, so you, you see that this progressive era that was started really under Teddy Roosevelt and expanded under under Woodrow Wilson has turned into this monster that many of our the founders of the United States warned us of. Right. We, we've been lied into almost every war we've ever fought. And, um, and it's all because we have a certain kind of <clears throat> politician that thinks that the ends justify the means. And, uh, and uh, <clears throat> it doesn't matter how many millions of people wind up getting killed in the process. Um, I don't think that the American people would support that for a minute if they understood it. And uh, we need to speak out against it because it's evil. I, I wasn't w- as aware of this stuff. You know, when I was younger, I bought the the crap that most people were fed. When the first Gulf War happened, I enlisted in the Marine Corps thinking that I was uh, going to go fight for freedom and democracy and follow in my father's footsteps. who was a World War II veteran. Yeah. And, uh, 
Only later did we come to find out that we were lied into that war and we were lied into the next one too. And, and we've been lied into pretty much everything since. Right. And uh, we need to stop believing people who lie to us all the time. Yeah. Well, um, I don't want to keep you any uh, too much longer, Father. It's It's been an hour. Um, so do you want to um, tell people where they can keep up with the uh with the events that's going on in in the kiev caves in lavra uh and where to find you and uh any any last thoughts you might have go ahead and just spill it okay well i have a blog um father john spelled out father uh john dot blogspot.com parish website is saint spelled out s-a-i-n-t jonah j-o-n-a-h dot org i'm on telegram gab and twitter and um probably the best place to follow the events if you really want to pay attention is on telegram uh because that's that's where i see the best information because there's no filtering on telegram and i pass it on to people (laughs) so that's where where i would recommend okay well and i'll uh what I'll do is whenever I release an audio version of this, I'll, I'll make sure all those links are in the show notes and sure. easy for people to find. Um, and I'll, I'll start following you on telegram. So I have all that information. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, father. I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and taking the time to do this. I, I always enjoy listening to you on other podcasts. So it was a great pleasure for me to actually get a chance to speak with you. Thank you. Good talking to you. And uh, hopefully we can do this again under better circumstances. Let's sure. That'd be wonderful. All right. Well, I'm going to end the recording right now.